Uh, well, my name's Jeff, if we haven't met yet. I do, uh, I, I think the first podcast episode is up with Nate Kloster, our elder chair, and I haven't listened to it yet, but I, other people did and said it was great. Uh, I got to be interviewed. Um, they're like 20, 25, 30 minutes, and it was Mark's idea. He brought it to the elders just as a way to keep us connected and exp- just to help us grow. I think it's a great idea. So, so listen in to the podcast. I think, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Um, we are in uh, the final section in this series in Deuteronomy, and maybe you've been wondering about this graphic since January 1st. Why does it say choose the blessing and the curse? We haven't really talked about this. It's because now is the time. Uh, we are, this, is, this, this graphic will start to make perfect sense over the weeks ahead, and we are launching in the, the, this next, this final section, the last section in Deuteronomy launches in with blessing and curse. And I was trying to think through how do I want to approach this? I want to spend a Sunday on the blessing and I want to spend a Sunday on the curse. Do I do the curse first to get it out of the way or so you don't know it's coming so you still show up or, you know? Um, but, I, but I realized, you know, we talked about the church calendar last year and Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. So Lent begins this Wednesday so I was like, it makes sense to me to preach on blessing today, and then we'll kick off Lent with the curse. <laughs> so still come back next Sunday. It's, there's still, I mean, the gospel is good news, but we need to talk about um, what Deuteronomy is teaching us. It has a lot to say about blessing and curse, and we want to understand it. So Ash Wednesday kicks off this Wednesday, if you weren't away. We don't have an Ash Wednesday service right now, maybe when we hire, many, most of you know we have an interim worship leader, and Taylor, we're grateful um, but when we hire a full-time worship pastor, maybe we'll have Ash Wednesday services. Um, but I, I want, we're going we're gonna to focus on blessing this morning. And I, I think you'll enjoy this morning. I mean, even, I think, Mark, you even prayed that God would breathe on us. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about blessing and what does this mean. I, I want you to begin by thinking of a time when you experienced blessing. I'm going to share a story. I think I've probably shared on Sunday morning before, and I know I just shared this recently at Forum. So many of you have heard this story, but I actually brought in uh, show and tell this morning. So I'll up my story a little bit. But I was trying to think of a time when I experienced blessing, especially a time when I was in a season of desert or wilderness, of lifelessness, and I needed. I don't even know how much I, I didn't, I, I didn't even know how much I needed God to breathe life into me. But it feels good to talk about this too, because for the last year I've been sharing with you that I, I turned 44 in December, and my dad died 10 days before his 44th birthday. So it's just been an interest, and you've journeyed with me, and I'm grateful for that. It's been healing for me to share this with you. Um. And now I've reached a birthday my dad never reached. And so I've just done a lot of thinking about his life and what I knew of him as an 11-year-old and what it was like when he passed away. And I think that's why when I think about some of my most profound experiences of blessing, of life in the midst of a desert season, I think of that season. And some of you have heard me say this before. I don't know that I used to tell the story this way, but I actually am getting more confident in telling it this way. If you were to push me and press me and say, Jeff, have you ever met an angel? I would say, I think I have. (laughs) I totally think I have. 
the, the week after my dad passed away, we had, you know, visitation and the funeral. And, and we, you know, now that I do funerals, no, most of the time there's only one visitation. But when my dad passed away about 30 years ago, there were two or three days of visitations. It was just a little bit differently handled. And this lady named Cindy showed up at my dad's visitation. And I'm going to put this in quotes because Cindy was, quote unquote, a distant relative. I'm not kidding when I tell you no one ever talked about Cindy before that day, and I've never heard anyone talk about her after that day. I don't know where she came from. She was a distant relative. I think she was an angel. And she saw this 11-year-old boy who lost his dad and was really lost, really hurting, uh, looking for life in the midst of death. And she just wanted to bless me. That's all she wanted to do. She wanted to bring life into a situation that was lacking life. And so she got to know me a little bit. Now, I know my audience, so I'm going to set this up a little bit, but I collected basketball cards as a kid. I never bring this out of the house. I brought in, this is my most valuable basketball card. I traded Scott Jameson in fourth grade for this. It's a Michael Jordan second year Fleer card. It was worth $100 not that long ago. I haven't figured out how to price cards on the internet because there's all kinds of wacky prices, but I think it's worth somewhere around two to three hundred dollars right now. This is, I never bring this out of the house. It's like a valuable possession of mine. So it's probably one of my favorite cards, right? It's Michael Jordan. Don't you? You like me because I have a good Michael Jordan card, right? Because those of you who live through the Jordan era are about to hate me. Because <laughs> I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. The nearest city is Detroit, Michigan. I love the bad boys. I loved them. You, I know, you hated Isaiah Thomas. He was my favorite player. I know, I know, I've already lost you. But, but just step back with me because I can lean into your compassion enough, right? Uh, Cindy, this angel, this distant relative, knew that I liked the Pistons. And she bought me this card right here. Now, you'll be ha- it's Isaiah Thomas' rookie card. You'll be happy to know that this is worth about $200 and this is worth $40. bucks. you are happy, right? You're happy to know that. But, she- but this was a card I-, I wanted, an Isaiah Thomas rookie card, and it was like $25 bucks back in the day, and my mom wasn't going to spend that much on a card. I-, I didn't think I'd ever get it. And it's just this little thing. It didn't, make- it didn't make the loss of my dad go away, but it was this unique breath of life in the midst of a desert season for me. She blessed me. I don't, know, I don't know if you can tap into something like that or just as we journey this morning. Or maybe you're in that season right now. I mean, honestly, if you are, it's not an accident that you're here this morning for God to breathe life into you, to bless you. We're going to talk about blessing today. We'll talk about the curse and how these two go to be- together next week. But, but we'll talk about blessing today because our God is a God who blesses. Our God transfers scenes of hopelessness to occasions of life, possibility, and joy. So if you're here this morning in a season of hopelessness, we're going to pray at the end of the sermon, and we're going to sing, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, God can bless you today, and he can breathe life and opportunity and joy into your desert Our God is a God who transforms nothingness into life, into productivity, into well-being, into fruitfulness. 
It's really what I've been praying all morning, that God would bless you, that he would breathe. He is, we'll talk about he's the source of life, that he would breathe his life into you because you need it, maybe more than you know. I need it. We all need it. He's the source of our life. Now, before we jump into blessing directly, I wanted to step back and, and talk about the bigger picture of God as he's revealed his character as he's the God of love. And I want to do this because it comes out of Deuteronomy. I'm going to read a couple verses in a second. But I also, I, I get one devotional email. I, I used to get a bunch, and I was like, that's too many. I can't keep up. So I just have one right now. But my devotional email this week is a re- the, the, the author, the guy, is reflecting on this idea of God's covenantal love. Some of you know this word. You know a little bit of Hebrew. It's, it's chesed. It's a hard H. It's H-E-S-E-D, but it's a hard H, chesed. It's this loyal, unfailing, covenantal love. It's not just this all, it's not, it's not love as America defines it today. It's, it's a deeper, richer, covenantal love. And we're introduced to it uh, throughout the Bible. I think, honestly, it might be the word that is used to describe God the most throughout Scripture But we're in Deuteronomy, so let me read a verse I read about a month ago when we were going through the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10. God says, I lavish unfailing love, that's that's hesed or chesed, I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Again, we talk frequently about this covenantal framework that God gives us to understand our relationship with him. It's a a, a setting of promise and obligation, gift and demand, or we talk about grace and truth. But I I want you to see that God is going to lavish. That'll be important as we talk about this outflowing of blessing. Or I just turn the page in my Bible to chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verse 12. And again, you see this covenantal framework in this love. If If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you, of chesed, covenantal, loyal love, as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. And if you keep reading, you're going to start to get some descriptions, some handles on what then the, the blessing that flows out of the heart of God. What did we sing in one of the songs just a few minutes ago? We want to draw near to the heart of God because this is the heart of God. He's a God of love, unfailing love. He's a God who blesses us. And I found it interesting. I think my favorite definition for this word I read this week in the devotional, uh, this this chesed love describes, and you you may want to write this down. I, I like this a lot. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's a good definition. And now we're getting into the uniqueness of the God of the Bible. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Now we're talking about this God that we worship, that we just sing to. And as you journey through the Old Testament, this word hesed is often paired with other words because it's such, a, it's such a, it's a massive concept to understanding the character of God. But, but then it, it kind of works out this way. If it's paired with justice, 
the writer is saying we have no right to expect justice from Yahweh, from our God, but because of his hesed, justice overflows anyway. Or when we talk about the goodness of God and it's paired with hesed, I, I do not deserve to experience Yahweh's goodness, but because of who he is, because of his character, his hesed, his heart, he has poured out all of his goodness to me. It's just a theme that echoes through the Old Testament. So you could say in a way that this, this hesed magnifies and mobilizes all of God's other qualities. It's, it's one thing to say that God possesses love or mercy or justice or goodness, but it's another thing to declare that he lavishly, right? That's what I read. He lavishly expresses these qualities upon those who do not deserve it. <laughs> now we're talking about the God of the Bible, the God who breathes life. This, this love is... Was covenantal. It's not, it's not about sentiment. It's about commitment. That's the covenantal framework. It's, it's a commitment. It's a, it's a trust. It's a belief in God's promises that he'll do what he said he will do. And it's obedience to, to his law, as we've been talking about. Because, as we've often said, if you trust in the promises of God, you will find that peace that your soul is longing. But if you're willing to trust the love and the goodness of this God and you do what he says, you'll find the purpose that your soul is longing for. And when you find peace and purpose, you are finally at rest. And all that anxiety and that stress just melts away because you know a God who gives you what you don't deserve. It's an incredible love a love that is determined to do what is good and just and right no matter the cost. A love that not even the power of death can break. And as I was reading this week, I, I mean, maybe I read this a while ago, but, you know, we just passed through Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's Day was last week. Ash Wednesday is coming up. And Valentine's Day is so interesting in our culture today. But if you know the origins, I mean, I was reading this. Maybe you know this, but... But records are scarce and sources provide different, sometimes contradictory details about his life. But Valentine was believed to be a Christian priest who was beheaded by the Romans in the third century. So how would you like that for a Valentine's Day card? A beheaded priest, that's kind of not what we think about. One account says Claudius, the Roman emperor, was having difficult recru difficulty recruiting soldiers to his army, so he imposed a ban on all marriages until the ranks were filled. And Valentine defied this order, and he secretly performed weddings for Christians. He's in prison, and while he's in prison, he, he continues to serve others and bless others and heal others, including the blind daughter of the prison guard. Valentine displayed this, this deeper kind of love, a love that's more than mere sentiment, a willingness to seek the best for others, to seek the best for those who don't deserve it, even his enemies. He understood something of the love of God. Even as I was looking at blessing throughout the whole story of Scripture and looking at the story of Valentine, I, I just want to read, I want to talk about it. just listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3 verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Give them something they don't deserve. <laughs> because that is what God has called you to do 
And look at this, even in Peter's thinking, and you do what God says, he'll bless you. (laughs) Right? It's this Deuteronomy theology that runs throughout this covenantal framework. Blessing. Again, it's out of this love of God that blessing flows. You could think of blessing as God's enhancement of a life of fullness. Or, again, English teachers cover your ears, but this was my favorite definition. Blessing is God's goodness made gooder. That's good. To bless is to convey some kind of benefit, and the focus is less on the benefit itself and more on the relationship that is enhanced by the blessing. Because when, when God comes to you and blesses you, what he's saying is like Romans 8, I'm with you. And I'm for you. And nothing can separate you from my love. That's this kind of blessing. It's why sometimes when we talk about this covenantal framework of promise and obligation or gift and demand, I I like to remind you that one, one of the things that makes the gospel the gospel is that with Jesus, the gift always comes before the demand. So we aren't doing things, and this is important as you think about obeying God, you aren't doing things to get the gift because then you lose sight of the giver, you're so focused on the gift and your relationship falls apart. No, God comes to us and he gives us life. And he starts with the gift and it just comes, we don't deserve it, that's the whole point, it's the grace, but forgiveness comes to us in Jesus Christ in the midst of our sinfulness. But then you understand, then we respond to that gift with gratitude and we do what he's asked us to because we get to be the people who reflect the character of God to a broken world. And we get to live with purpose because we get to participate. God, the the infinite, all-powerful God works with us to bring about gooderness in the world, right? That's what he does. So our main text, a bit of a a setup, I guess, but our main text is Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14. Deuteronomy 28 is one of the longest chapters in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and most of it is curse. (laughs) So we'll talk about that next week again. If you're not here next week, I'll know why. You're avoiding it. You're avoiding it. But verses 1 to 14 is the blessing. Actually, I've been listening to the Bible Project podcast. I love what they're doing, and Uh, One of them summarizes the biblical story this way. The Bible tells the story of what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object. (laughs) And the irresistible force is God's desire to bless. It's his heartbeat from the beginning of the story. And the immovable object is our sinful, stubborn, self-centered hearts. And as you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that even though calamities of drought and infertility and family rivalry and warfare and enslavement threaten to extinguish the blessing, the promise of blessing, the blessing prevails. It just, God just continues to bless and bless and bless. And so I'll try to show you that even in in more ways as we we journey through this passage in Deuteronomy 28, but, but even just to set you up, if you were here in December... Or if you've read through Genesis and you know the story of Jacob, the story of Jacob is a profound outworking of this theme. We talked about it back in December. We're literally at Jacob's birth. God says, I'm going to bless this one. And Jacob's mom knows that Jacob is the one who's going to be blessed. The older will serve the younger. 
But Jacob has trouble entering into this covenant. He has trouble trusting in the promises of God. So he wastes his life away scheming to try to seize the blessing on his terms. And God's like, you can't seize the blessing on your terms. You have to humble yourself and surrender because I just want to give it to you. So often we get in the way of God giving us the blessing He just wants to give us. We try to prove ourselves to Him, all kinds of stuff, but but, but God just just wants to bless us. And eventually, right, Jacob wrestles with God, and he's humbled. He has to limp, but then he's able to receive the blessing. And then, as we talked about, he's able to bless others, even, even Pharaoh. So here in Deuteronomy, we're going to see... Again, this, this blessing idea spelled out now, not just for Jacob's family, but now for the descendants of his family and the nation of Israel that's coming together. Remember, Deuteronomy is mostly a collection of sermons that Moses is giving to the people on the, the plains of Moab as they prepare to enter into the promised land. So let's just work through these verses a little bit. If you, in this This is how it starts, and this is how it ends, you'll see in verse 14, but just as covenantal. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. And again, I think about that being set high through the language of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll be the city on the hill. You'll be the light that the other nations look to and say, we have to go learn from their God because no one lives like they do. Right? Again, that's what we've been saying all the way through Deuteronomy. The people were formed under the oppressive leadership of Pharaoh in slavery in Egypt, and God is reforming them into a new kind of people. That's what the law is meant to be a gift to help them live into this new identity. Verse 2, you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Again, utter devotion, no idols, just completely devoted to God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Where you live, it'll be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. And again, even in this idea, which goes back, you, you kind of have bookends to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis begins with blessing and, and being called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And now Deuteronomy is ending kind of intentionally with this idea that you'll be blessed and you'll, be, you'll, you'll multiply, you'll be fruitful as was promised. In fact, your, your fruit baskets and breadboards, I mean, the tools you use will be blessed. You won't work, yeah, you, I mean, it's like the, the curse on, on your work, the, the land is cursed. It won't be cursed anymore, right? And wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. It's, it's comprehensive. Anything you could think of, blessed by God. Just think everything about your life, blessed by God. <laughs> That's a beautiful picture. The Lord will conquer your enemies when when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. So so one of the things about being at rest in the Bible is that you're you're not not attacked anymore. You're at peace with your neighbors. And here's a picture that if you are attacked, they they won't be able to conquer you. They'll come unified. They'll leave disunified. And again, all these themes echo out throughout the Old Testament, even as you go back and you you even think about the story of Elijah. If you know one of the famous stories of Elijah is with the widow of Zarephath. And, 
And what happens? She, her, 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 her son dies, and Elijah is a source of blessing, and he brings life to her son. And they're in the midst of a famine, and she's gets, she gets this jar, right, that just keeps filling up. They, it never runs out in the midst of a famine. It's just this, this picture, these little hints of, of the blessing of God present in the remnant of his people of Israel. It's, it's what we begin to see. About verse 8. Uh, the Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do, and he will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Part of the biblical worldview is that all multiplying things lead back to the first ungenerated cause, the uncaused cause, the source of all life and being and blessing. The Bible reveals God to us in this way. Blessing becomes something that God possesses within his own eternal self-sustaining being. He is life. He is the source of all life. And he blesses us when he shares, he grants, he gifts some of that life, that self-regenerating power to finite creatures like you and me. He's the source of that life. He's the source of our peace. He's the source of our purpose, of our hope, of all that, that brings about new life. God is the source of that. Verse 9, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would. And then all the nations of the world will see you, see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in all of you. They will look at you and they will see something different because you are set apart. I mean, that's what being holy means. You are set apart. You are, you are different. And so the people that you're set apart from will look at you and they will see that you are Yahweh's people. You're God's people or we, now that Christ has come, you are Jesus's people. You're Christians. And what that means is you have everything you need and even more than what you need. It's part of what it means to understand that you've been gifted everything through Christ. You have everything that you need. Now, I know it's hard to believe that because there are so many voices in our world today that are telling you, no, you need this. <laughs> you need this experience. You need this product. You need this service. You need this to be whole and satisfied. But that's not the biblical. God will give you your daily bread but you already have everything you need in him. <laughs> That's the story of the Bible. It's this part of the blessing. And then people will look and see, wow, this is a content people. They, they seem to have everything they have. They needed more than that. It, 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 may, it might not even look at first that way, but as I get to know these people, they're, they're living with joy and peace and purpose and hope. And I want to learn. How do I live that? Teach me. How do you... You learn that from your God, introduce me to your God. I've got to meet this God. Because I hear a lot of other voices in the world and none of them sound like this God of love. This God who, who I, I, I should expect nothing from but gives me, I, I don't deserve it, but he gives me everything I need. I want to meet this God. Who is this God? Verse 11, the Lord will give you prosperity in the land. 
he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, abundant crops. You will flourish. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. Because you're generous, because God is generous, you'll be able to help others. And if you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you will always be on top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I am giving you today, nor follow after other gods and worship them. Again, you'll be, you'll be the head and not that. You'll be the source. You'll, it's like the head of a river. You'll be the source of this life pouring out into the world. Again, there's the, so much of the Old Testament is teaching us through story. This is... The, this is one of the points of the Joseph story, if you know the Joseph story, right? Because what happens? Joseph starts out in the bottom, and God then exalts him and, and leads him through wisdom, spirit-given wisdom. And what happens? Joseph becomes a blessing to Egypt and to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt. He becomes a blessing to his family, but because he leads Pharaoh to store up food during seven years of famine, Egypt then becomes a blessing to the surrounding nations because of Joseph and his God. This is theme of blessing that just iterates through the scriptures. So what does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, I read this this week and I like this. Just see if this resonates with you. To know the blessing of God is a dance. It's a jazz performance. And this is what Herbie Hancock said of Miles Davis. It's also true of our relationship with Jesus. There are no mistakes when you're dancing or playing with him. He can always move so that our missteps are eventually choreographed into a beautiful sequence. Inexhaustibly patient, endlessly creative, he just keeps putting himself where we can't help but bump into him until we are synced up with him, flowing with the same virtuosity, living with the same life, the life that he's breathed into us, walking with that rest, that peace, that purpose. We're at ease in this world because we're dancing with Jesus. <laughs> it's a jazz performance. I like that. That's what it means to be blessed by God. Well, I did a little bit broader look at blessing, as I said, and, and it really does seem to be, again, we'll talk about the curse, because you've got to look at these together, but we'll get there next week, and we'll, we'll see how this fits together. But it does seem to me that God's final word is, is one of blessing for his people, for God's people, for, for the people of Israel, God's final word is blessing. Even in Deuteronomy, if you're reading ahead, if you're following along, Moses is a pretty important guy in the book of Deuteronomy, right? And the last words that we're told of Moses before he dies is Moses blessing the tribes of Jacob. It's Deuteronomy chapter 33. We end with Moses' words of blessing upon the people of God. <laughs> or I was flipping through, you know, the, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, and in many ways it's, it's a story that doesn't have an ending. That's why the New Testament fits in so nicely there. But I even came across this, this theme of blessing and curse in the final book 
And there was some strategy to how these minor prophets were put together at the end of the Old Testament. But listen to the words of Malachi chapter 3, verse 9, just the second to last chapter. He says, you're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Again, we'll, we'll get into that more next week. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there, there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, if you obey, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. This is a great line. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And God says this and he says, try it. Put me to the test. I love that. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This theme, God's final word, tends to be blessing. And then we get to Revelation, the final chapter in the Bible. Revelation chapter 22 which was so appropriate we sang. That last song we just sang is just inspired by the book of Revelation. So good job, worship team. Verse 12, chapter 22, look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And that's our ultimate hope, right? That Jesus, when he comes back, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. What did I say? God is the source of all of life. Jesus says, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. And then verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who cleanse their robes in the blood of the Lamb, who, who enter into the saving relationship with Jesus Christ and have their sins forgiven and their souls washed clean by the sanctifying, cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the ultimate blessing. That is where life comes from. Because you'll be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, all who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I'm both, this is Jesus, fully God and fully man. I'm both the source of David. I'm the author of David's life. David was my idea, and I'm also the heir to his throne who reigns forever. <laughs> fully God and fully man. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires. I mean, as I'm talking about this God and the kind of God he is and that his heartbeat, his, he, he wants to, to bless you? Is there anything stirring you that says, I want to be blessed by this God? Well, then come and drink freely from the water of life. I mean, you and I drink from so many false faucets these days. And we think that that's gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna satisfy our thirst, and it doesn't. We have to, but if you go to this, well, you drink from the water that Jesus is offering, you'll never, what does he say? You'll never be thirsty again. You'll be satisfied. You'll have all of your needs met, all of your wants satisfied and fulfilled. And then you're just free to bless. You were made in the image of a God who blesses, and so then you're free to bless others. That's the way this goes. One author says this, and this is also going to, we'll flesh this out more next week, but 
The gospel is that in Jesus Christ, the curse has been set aside. And God's creative purpose for the blessing of his creation is established beyond any possibility of reversal. God's last and effective word is his blessing. It is a particular word spoken in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, broadcast by those who cannot but pass it on. So powerful is its effect, overflowing with blessing from those who, blessed by it, become a blessing to others. And as I was reading this week, I came across the story of Eric Liddell. Some of you, I think, it's a story that was told a lot, so some of you younger folk may not have heard the story of Eric Liddell. I did a little research. His family has a webpage. I think his daughter or granddaughter has a webpage up, and I was reading, and they have a little section on the USA, and I, I thought it was funny. They said they have a deep partnership, the, Eric, the Liddell family, a deep partnership with one school in America, Judson in Elgin, Illinois. I was like, that's funny. That's interesting. But Eric Liddell is this guy who was raised by missionaries, had a strong relationship with Christ, and was a gifted athlete. And Again, everybody would have known about this, but I don't know if the younger generation, but there's a movie called Chariots of Fire that was about his story, where his faith, he just felt like he was one of these people who wanted to Sabbath on Sundays. And as he was training for the, I think the 1924 Olympics, I think, as he was training for one of the Olympics, uh, his best event was the 100 meters. But because the time trials were on a Sunday, he opted out of that event and only ran in the 200 and the 400. And ended up winning the 400 and setting the world record at the time. So a pretty cool story. But as you get into his story, he leaves athletics to bless others in the name of Christ. And he's doing missionary work out east. And he ends up in World War II in a Japanese-run internment camp where he eventually, I think five weeks before he would have been released, he dies from a brain tumor. But I want you to just, just to the degree that you can, imagine being, again, I started by talking about these lifeless places that are a desert. And what can happen if you go to the source of life and allow him to breathe into you? I was just reading about Eric Liddell in this camp, and one of the people who was with him was a guy named Langdon Gilkey. He survived the camp that Eric died in. And I want you to hear, I mean, imagine you are living in a Japanese internment camp in World War II, and this is how you are described. He was overflowing with good humor and love for life with enthusiasm and charm. I mean, Eric Liddell is a man who knew the source of God. To be a light in the midst of an internment camp, to be a presence. He goes on to say, if, if, if I've ever met a saint, it's Eric Liddell. A man who knew the love of God. And, and, and you may not be there today. And, that, and that's okay. You may be, and, and we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing about the resurrection of Jesus in just a minute. And, if, and you may be there today. You may be overflowing. Because I, actually, I know some of you are because I get, I'm getting these testimonies. We talk about the Spirit of God moving. The Spirit of God is moving in our church. <laughs> and so some of you are, and as we sing that song, you, just, you just, just praise God for what he's done for you. 
It'll be easy for you. But let it out. Let it out. If you're even feeling led to raise your hand this morning, do it. Express your gratitude for what God has done. But some of you aren't there this morning. Some of you are in the midst of the wilderness that I'm describing. And you don't have to, you don't have to today be a person that everyone's like, oh, they're so full of good humor and they're just bringing enthusiasm and charm. You don't, you don't have to be there, right? You don't have to like make yourself look happy. That's one of the great lies of the church. You don't have to make yourself look happy and then in order to get God's favor. What you do need is to just receive the blessing that God wants to give you. That's what you need. If you're, if you're in a wilderness this morning, we're going to pray, and I really am going to invite you. Again, just sometimes posture helps. I'm going to have you close your eyes and maybe even just to open your hands. You can even do it close to you if you feel. You don't have to. I don't, I'm not even going to look at you, but but, but, but posture yourself, if you're in a hard season, to receive the life of God from the source of ever-flowing water. To let it wash over you. To let it fill your sails with life. Because you can't get yourself out of the wilderness, but God can. But God can. As Mark mentioned, if you haven't been paying attention, there is a revival. I don't know where it's at at this point, but this week in Asbury in Kentucky, our own youth pastor is an alum from there, so we're blessed by that, right? But something is happening there. Where the, where, and, it, and it actually it started from a sermon on the love of God. I love that. But the Spirit of God is moving, and people are coming from around the world to just be a part of it. And I don't need to manufacture a revival here across you. If God wants to move that way, awesome. Bring it. We'll pray for it. But God's going to do what he wants to do. But, I, but, but we will invite him this morning. I want you to invite him with me. This is how the Bible ends. These are the final verses in Revelation. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. So I'm going to invite you now to bow your heads, close your eyes. And again, I know we... We respond differently, but if you feel moved while we're praying or while we're singing this next song, to just, to just extend your hands out in front of you with your palms facing towards the heavens to receive this blessing that God wants to give you. And maybe even, I mean, one of the reasons why I like doing that is because you and I have been trained and formed in modern-day Babylon to grasp with, fitches, with fists just clutched to seize for ourselves and maybe that's some of the reason why, we'll talk about the curse next week, that's some of the reason why you're not fully filled with the life that God wants to give you because you've been trying to take it on your own terms. So this morning, I want to invite you to just, just, just release your hands and just posture yourself to receive. Jesus, that's what we want to pray. We're not even going to make this a complicated prayer. I just want to say that we, we trust that you will provide everything that we need. And right now, all we want to do is draw near to your heart. There is no heart like your heart. We want to draw near to you. And we're just going to say this a few times just to get our soul and our mind and our hearts around this. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, you love us with a love that is unimaginable.
pour out your spirit upon us. Come, Lord Jesus, into our lifeless deserts. Fill us with hope. Take away our anxiety and our fear, all the traps of the enemy to hold us down and lift us up so that we're the head and not the tail. Come, Lord Jesus. Spirit of God, if you want to move from Kentucky to DeKalb County in a powerful way, we say come. We invite you, come and do what only you can do. In your name we pray, amen.